With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This week's episode is brought to you by Showtime's hit drama series Billions, starring Damian Lewis and Paul Giamatti. This show is so smart it makes the West Wing look slow, The Guardian comments. Power, corruption, lies, that all makes for great TV, says Esquire. While Inc. Magazine simply raves, Billions is the best show on TV. Billions is written and executive produced by showrunners Brian Koppelman and David Levine for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Hi, welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking about season two of Billions with Maggie Sith. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and it's my pleasure to welcome Maggie Sith, the star of Billions. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure. So congratulations on season two. Thank you. It ended on quite the cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Wendy went home with Chuck. Who saw that coming? <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw it coming a little bit, you know, before the end of the season. Um, but the end of the season was so twisty that the guys kind of kept us informed of certain things that they felt we needed to know. But like every script, it kind of most of the time just sort of revealed itself. But Somewhere about halfway through the season, I knew that Chuck and Wendy were working towards a a reconciliation that would occur in the last episode. Um, So, yeah. Is that something you wanted for Wendy? Um, It's sometimes it's hard to parse out what my character wants and what I want. I love working with Paul so much that I think we were both kind of hoping um, that the relationship would be sort of rich and ongoing. Um, you know, I, uh, I just, I, yeah, I guess in a way it's what I wanted for Wendy. I, I really liked the way they were working on their marriage this season. And I liked how it kind of exposed a piece that a lot, I know a lot of people asked me after the first season, like, I don't understand why these two people are together. And I feel like you saw and understood that more deeply this season as you saw them uh, with their marriage falling apart, sort of fighting for it. Like, you began to see how they do connect and, you know, the pieces of, of commonality and joy that they find in each other. It did surprise me a little bit, though you saw it coming all season long. It came after she'd had this sort of very powerful moment with Axe. Mm -hmm. So I did question a little bit how real this reconciliation was. Did you have any questions about it at all? Yeah, I had some questions, and I have some questions for them going into the story as uh, as it resumes. I think one of the things about the character that um, keeps her interesting and keeps people interested in her is she's surprising you know 
um, the you, you don't necessarily think that um, like Chuck has this very elaborate play at the end of the season, um, you know, where he basically loses his entire savings to trap or entrap acts into doing what he does, right? And, you know, you're like, is that is that a crime for which Wendy could never forgive him? Or is that something that even Wendy has to have begrudging respect for? You know, and she, like, on some level, conscious or not, um, she loves how brilliant and twisted and kind of fucked up these guys are, you know, in, in their endeavor to win and their endeavor to succeed and their endeavor to grow themselves and you know i think she's i think she strives to help people become like the best version of themselves they can be but i also think there's another place in her that just has to admire that kind of raw i don't know genius and ambition and ability to penetrate a situation or a problem like that it's crazy how she could be a pawn between these two guys, and yet she manages to rise above it. She doesn't let herself get caught up in this web between them. She's a pretty empowered woman, not to overuse mm-hmm. that word. What is it like to play her? It's so fun. Um, you know, I guess what I love the most about it is that there's not a lot of... She doesn't have a lot... The character doesn't have a lot of commentary about, like, yeah, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm juggling it all, and I'm a superwoman. She just is. You know, she doesn't apologize for how smart or powerful she is or the fact that she's raising children and working this incredible job. You know, um, there's no uh, there's no self-consciousness about it. I think one of the things that the character spends a lot of time doing for other people is helping them get out of their own way and step into their own power and, you know, be the biggest, tallest version of themselves that they can be. And she seems to have done a lot of that work primarily, you know, on herself to start. Um, so there's something about the unapologetic nature of the way that she's smart and powerful and forthright. Um, and uh, at the same time, you know, she's not... Uh, bitch she's not a ball buster she's not all those you know stereotypes that you see a lot about women who have a lot of power um she feels like she sits in herself and sometimes in her sensuality sometimes in her intelligence and um you never know which one you're going to get it's whatever's authentic to her in the moment and you know um playing all of that is is really fun so you mentioned you had some questions at the end of the season. Care to share any of those questions? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I think it sort of depends on where the season resumes. Um, some of it has to do with uh, exactly what she has pieced together of Chuck's plan. Um, and what that means to her. Um, uh, It's, you know, it's stuff about the marriage and um, where she's at with it going forward vis-a-vis her relationship to Axe Capital and Axe. And, you know, it's all those questions that are always very alive for me and for my character is, is how to consider 
the conflict of interest in a way that um, makes sense for my character life within both the marriage and the workplace. So, you know, what is Wendy's psychological uh, makeup so that she can engage in both of these things as fully as she needs to to be satisfied within herself for herself? And that's, that's you know, that's always a complicated... It's baked into the show. It's a very complicated calculus because they've made her this big, you know, conflict of interest character. What about her relationship with Axe? As I, you know, we mentioned before, she had this kind of very powerful moment with him mm-hmm. at the end of the show where he chose to be with her at the moment he was arrested rather than his own wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, what I'm excited about... I, I didn't get to work with Damien that much this season because they were so estranged. And so, um, and she was so wary of him, suspicious of him. Um, so the questions that I have going into this season with regard to that relationship is really um, how much can she trust him? How much is he uh, really interested in doing that sort of deep dive work on himself? And to what extent can I be helpful and, and useful to him? And, you know, what's always interesting about their relationship is the depth of their history and their love for each other. And, you know, it is platonic, um, but there's something about him that she wants to be near and something about her that he wants to be near. And I don't think that that is... Um, I think there are mysteries in that that you know are sort of maybe yet to be revealed or maybe just live there all the time. I mean, they're not... Um, so... And I think that all got touched on in the finale, you know, in terms of uh, that moment that they have between them and how deeply invested she is in kind of in his soul, you know. Like in the first season, there's a whole conversation about whether or not he's a sociopath. And I think that that question has been... um, The vibrations of that question have been playing themselves out through the second season as well. And then I think that conversation that they had kind of rises back to the surface at the end of the of the season, and that's that's what she can't say no to. Like she wants to be there with him in that soul searching. It's it's interesting because you think like, well, what's motivating her? Is it love for him, or is it just wanting to save him? I mean, or a combination of all of the above. I think it's a combination of all of the above. But I think, I think there's a the history of that relationship, the richness of that history. Um, you know, she she comes into his life at a moment when, right after nine eleven, when he's lost everybody, and so she helps him kind of rebuild and restructure himself. This is also at a moment when they're both at the beginning of their careers and full of this potential and ambition and energy. And, um, you know, they grow up together in that, like, you know, that, that those, the very beginnings of something where they're forming themselves and they're, um, you know, I know that, like, the friends that I had in my 20s when I was sort of just starting to be an actor and just sort of like beginning to feel the potential of my life those are the people that are still like deepest and dearest to me and um 
And I think that's the investment that they have in each other that, you know, no one can take away from them and in a way no one can compete with that. The kind of like interior knowledge that they have of each other's workings. Um, And then, you know, I, I don't think of her as being in love with him or certainly not in a conscious way. Um, but I also think of, I do think of Axe Capital as being their baby, in a sense, something that they built together, something that she feels an equal amount of, uh, she feels equally proprietary of. Um, and so there is that, um, there is that investment in something that they're both, uh, like, deeply embedded in. And it's that relationship that his wife, Lara, is very jealous of. And maybe, it, and not in the jealous female sense, but it's like she can't penetrate that relationship that you two have. Yeah, I mean, I think there are parts of acts that are impenetrable and unreachable to her and to most people. And although I don't necessarily think Wendy can penetrate all of him either, I think she's probably come the closest um, and she's probably the best at reading him in a in a global sense. Um, and I think that that knowledge is is threatening to Lara. And also perhaps the feeling that if anyone can save him, it's Wendy as opposed to her. I don't know. I mean, I'd be interested to hear sort of Mullen's perspective on that. But it's not it's not a typical. Uh, jealous, jealous of the other woman. It's right. um, it's deeper and weirder than that. Definitely. Do you think Wendy knew what she was doing when she told Malin about the deal that she made to return to X Capital? Was it intentional to sort of say, "I came back under these terms and it was my <laughs> it was my decision, not X's"? Oh yeah, that was intentional. <laughs> I mean, she said, "I say to Chuck in that episode, you know, I just couldn't resist punching her in the face with it." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like a very pretty moment for. Wendy, but uh, <laughs> but I I enjoyed it and I appreciated it being there because I don't you know she's not she's not a superhero and um, you know and I also understood it you know it, for me in that moment the way I understood the moment um, was sort of like a f- finally just like a something snaps in her where she just wants to tear it down all the lies all the dissembling all the double dealing and just be like really you want to know what's actually going on here this is what's actually going on here and you know instead of having to have this constant care for once being able to surrender all of that consideration and just slap someone with the truth and walk away and it's not something you see the character do a lot because um she's so deeply aware of the effect that she's having on people and she's been trained you know to use that as a a tool for um helping people as opposed to destroying them right um yeah so that was a moment of uh of violence but it was truth you know she also has a great moment when she essentially bets financially against her husband and <laughs> pockets a nice little a little chunk of change. A little chunk of change there. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I like that moment because she's um, she's doing for herself what he won't do for himself, 
Um, so in a way, it's saving him, but in another way, it's just looking out for herself and her family. And, um, I, you know, that's another question that I, I have uh, for the guys going back in. Like, is that insider trading? I think it is. <laughs> it did feel to me like it crossed the line yeah, there. It it. There's, there's a line that was crossed there. And so, what you know, exactly what is that? And what are the ramifications of that? And, you know, uh, what kind of ethical breach has she... Uh, done and you know so she's she's not a um, in a way she too is corruptible right um, how can you not be in that world where the stakes are so high and these things happen so quickly you know people fall into all kinds of traps and she's not immune how can you not be it's so tempting it's sitting right there she has this information but it also felt a little bit vindictive for her she was angry in that moment and mm-hmm. she you know reacted emotionally right yeah she did and she's, you know, in that moment, just like can't, mystified by what he's doing, can't understand it, can't can't quite figure it out. And then, and then there's that moment where she's like, I I don't I don't exactly know what's going on here, but I'm going to save myself because he's not going to bring me down in his ship with him. This week's episode is brought to you by Showtime's hit drama series, Billions, starring Damien Lewis and Paul Giamatti in what Entertainment Weekly calls magnificent, boisterous performances. Vulture says, Lewis should seriously be in the best actor conversation for anyone with an Emmy ballot, while New York Daily News says, Giamatti is at his best as Rhodes. Billions is written and executive produced by showrunners Brian Koppelman and David Levine for your Emmy consideration in all categories. How much do you talk to the guys over the course of the season? How much do you know where the show is going to go by the end, or they just sort of get script by script? I talk to them a fair amount because I feel like often so much of what's going on with Wendy is, um, you know, I want to be really careful that I my intentions about what I'm doing and why I'm doing are very, very clear within myself, even though on the page she can be quite mysterious so I want to help you know sort of uh, maintain that that balance between the mystery but also just having a lot of clarity within myself so I I talk to them with a, a certain amount of uh, regularity when I have questions about scripts and stuff usually there's like I would say every third script I'm like can we talk <laughs> <laughs> and we we get on the phone and they they love it they really welcome um, those conversations with the actors and stuff like that which is which is nice and the writing is is quite twisty you know so I think it I think it merits it although there are some other people who never talk to them who only want to just like really go by the you know make sense of the scripts as they come up um, but then there are also just things you you need to know sort of down the line what kind of research did you do yourself? Did you immerse yourself in the world of hedge funds just so that you could talk the talk? Um, you know, luckily, she, as she says in the last episode, she's like, I'm the only person here who doesn't do the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank God. Um, I did a little bit. Um, mostly what I did was I read, um, I read a bunch of stuff by this guy, Ari Kiev, who famously worked for Steve Cohen's um, hedge fund as the in-house 
performance coach, shrink. Um, and he only... So he did some of, I think, what Wendy does probably, but he he also dealt really specifically with people's portfolios. So I sort of immersed myself in how he was talking to people about what they were doing and how they were investing and, you know, the cer- certain terminology and stuff like that. And then I talked to some people who do what I did. I talked to, I want to say, three of them. Um, who, each of whom had sort of different perspectives um, and different approaches. And then I also talked to Tony Robbins, who's a friend of one of our showrunners, because I feel like he's been an inspiration for the showrunners, and uh, and they wanted Wendy to have a like a little bit of his um, like make a change right now, you know. Like the, the ability to turn people around really quickly to just do that thing where they walk in the door with a set of problems or a problem and they walk out the door with a way through it. And, you know, that's a tall order. And but Tony has, you know, this kind of like uh, charisma and um, energy and a way of of focusing people uh very, very quickly and very sharply that um, I wanted to get a taste of. So I got to talk to him for a bit, which was great. And uh, I worked in a hedge fund for a little while in my 20s as a like a weirdo temp job that I had for about three months. So I, wow. I, had, a sense of some, <laughs> I had a sense of some of the personality types going in. Um, yeah, and then, you know, there's always research along the way. And Paul and I did some... Investigating the sort of S and M world and getting a sort of feel for that stuff, and we have a we have a consultant. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is a consultant um, who we've gotten to talk to a lot, who's in the in the life, and uh, and she she was very helpful. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like with every season, there's more to learn. It's such a complicated it's such a complicated world. Um, but it's been the, the research part of it has been one of the most enjoyable things about the job. Wendy's a complicated character. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is about that S and M world that defines Wendy? I mean, I think of it as something that somewhere along the line in their marriage, I think she perceived a deep need from Chuck. I think it. I think it came from him initially maybe not the direct request it may have even been her perceiving a need in him and them kind of beginning to make room for that in their marriage um and i think with that came a revelation that it was enjoyable that she was good at it you know and uh and a pleasure in being able to sort of cordon off a piece of her life and their marriage that could uh, contain this other world. I, you know, I think that's quite expansive, actually. And um, and I think it speaks to uh, their psychological health as a couple. Um, and certainly her expansiveness, you know. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't think of it as something that she quite... I, I think it's an ongoing question, actually, for the character. Uh, um, 
I'm, I'm not sure if it's something that she needs in the same way that he does, but I think she's not sure now. I think, I think she wonders if she doesn't need that, and I think that might be part of the drive that brings them back together. You know, the moment when they come back together, that door opens again, and um, and she's the initiator of that. So, you know, I think that's I think that's an ongoing question. What was your reaction when they presented this to you? They were like, hey, Wendy's this great character. She's the performance ghost. And oh, by the way. <laughs> mm. Well, it's in the pilot. So they never presented it to me. It, 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 it revealed itself mm-hmm. at the end of the pilot when you realize that the person who is peeing and putting a cigarette out on Paul Giamatti is, in fact, his wife. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> Did you have any trepidations about it? Or you were like, I'm all in. No, I had a lot of trepidation about it. Um, you know, I um, I thought the character was fascinating, and I and I really liked that reveal. I thought it was way more interesting that it be his wife rather than some prostitute, and then all the sort of narrative uh, predictability that that spells out for storytelling and everything else. I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. But in terms of being that character. Um, I just I didn't want to be um, I didn't want to be in my underwear in every episode. I didn't want to be naked. I did, you know like I have a lot of natural uh, sort of modesty, and I didn't want it to be salacious. You know, I was interested in it as a function of their marriage, as something that exposed a psychological component of how these people are together and everything else. But um, I can only do that like. I can only get down to my underwear (laughs) if I feel the conviction of the storytelling and that it does something uh, really interesting and authentic to a character, you know, for a character. Um, And, uh, and I, I got those reassurances. Um, And I got the reassurance that I would never be asked to do something that would make me uncomfortable, Um, which, which really is everything. Looking back over the course of the two seasons, is there a moment that you're proudest of? Um, I guess for the character, I, the um, I'm quite proud of the. I mean, I don't know. There, there are lots of there are lots of moments that I'm proud of. I, I liked. For the character, I liked the finales in both seasons. Um, I feel proud of the scene um, in the first season when Wendy and Chuck break up. There's a sort of um, a scene where the, the dissolution happens. And uh, it felt true to me. You know, it felt really like the the cracks between these two people finally just open up and sort of destroy the marriage and then I I felt also proud of the scene between her and Axe at Ground Zero Um, that felt like it had um, the weight and the history we were supported in a huge way by just being in that incredible space you know And, and we were very grateful that we were allowed to be there it's you know a sacred space and um and i feel like the the scene carried some of that um the energy of that 
that sacredness, you know, of of their uh, bond, of the loss that they experienced together, um, that took place, you know, at that at that on that sacred ground, um, and uh, you know, so I feel, I, you know, I feel proud of that scene and and kind of being able to to do something that felt as significant as that uh, on that ground. Do you know anything about what's coming for season three? I know a little bit, but I don't think I can say. I, I know just a tiny, tiny bit. I sort of know where we pick up. and um, Is there a time jump? I don't think it's going to be a super significant time jump. Yeah. I think it'll pick up kind of on the heels. Um, that's all I can say. Forget <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's there. He's not listening. <laughs> he can't hear us talking. We're good. <laughs> so given that we're in a world of reboots and revivals, you're in hmm. two iconic shows, Sons of Anarchy and Mad Men. <laughs> Would you ever consider returning to those roles? Should those ever get reunited or revivals ever happen for them? <laughs> <laughs> well, um... Both of my characters died in this series, so I don't know that they can come back unless there's some kind of crazy flashback. Uh, flashbacks always happen. Flashbacks happen sometimes. I mean, the last when I came back as Rachel, it was in a dream, so I guess that's always possible. I could just keep going with that. Dream mm-hmm. sequences. Dream sequences. <laughs> Audiences love a dream sequence. Uh, yeah. What do those roles mean to you? So much. Um, I'm... I'm actually quite excited <laughs> for the Mayans, which is the you know the sort of spin-off of the Sons of Anarchy world because um, I just you know when you think about when you do a show for that long, there's just things that are in your bloodstream, you know, and uh, um, to just like be able to see a world that is sort of imbued with some of the the heart and soul of the original series i'm i'm excited for um and you know mad men was just uh so um i don't know beautiful and groundbreaking and um like such an honor to have been a part of it and to to have been a part of it from the beginning when we never thought that it was going to be anything other than an art project that existed in some you know, very with a very teeny tiny audience off, you know, at AMC, which had never done an original programming. And so it was kind of like, um, I don't know, to then live through it becoming a sensation and becoming something so important culturally was like thrilling and weird um, and very exciting to be a part of. And I just, you know, even after I left that show, I watched it religiously. It kind of, it just fed my soul in some some way that I really I really miss it <laughs> um, and I miss all those people you know you and me both it was a classic yeah and Sons of Anarchy had a like a it just had so much heart and passion and grit and you know and those people were were family for so many years um, uh, and uh you know, I, I run into people on the street who are like, oh, my God, I miss that show. Like, it is, like, deeply absent for so many people. <laughs> um, and all different kinds of people, which is one of the things that I really loved about that show, was that it, it just had such a broad uh, audience and audience base. It was like, you know, 
I don't know, like my rabbi cousin and some lawyer I meet on the street as well as like my, the guy who picked up my trash. And, you know, it had, it just reached so many people. Um, and that was an amazing thing to be a part of. It really feels like it kicked off this era of TV that we're now living and enjoying that Billions is very much a part of. So congratulations. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking about Stranger Things with the creators of the show, the Duffer Brothers. See you next time. This week's episode is brought to you by Showtime's hit drama series Billions, starring Damien Lewis and Paul Giamatti, with a superb supporting cast, including Maggie Siff, Malin Ackerman, David Costabile, and Asia Kate Dillon. Salon says, Each episode is a quilt of conversations made for screens, wrapped around a cast delivering ferocious, magnetic performances. Billions is written and executive produced by showrunners Brian Koppelman and David Levine for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.